The WHO wants to absolve the sovereignty of the United States. How does that work? And what does that look like at a state level? I'm John Fender, along with Gary Humble and Kevin Kukaji. This is the Freedom Matters Podcast. Okay, so this week we're going to start. Kevin actually has something that he wants to come in with because I usually throw the first thing out, but Kevin's going to throw the first thing out. When I was young, my mom is a big sewer. She likes to sew mm-hmm. and she likes to make quilts. And so there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff around the house revolving around that hobby. And there were always these, I don't, I don't know what you call them. They were just round things that had pins all in them. And <laughs> they're called pin cushions. Yeah. Because you just, there's just places you stick pins to keep them in case you need a pin to do something while you're sewing or making quilts. My mom had a tomato uh, actually, yes. my mom had a tomato. <laughs> yes, my, my mom had one tomato. There were multiple other things, but one of them was always a tomato. But <laughs> so along the pincushion line, Kevin wanted to bring in some things about pincushions. Yes. So I don't know if our listeners are aware that about a week ago, 10 days ago, the first bit of news we got, no surprise, that uh, Stephen Colbert actually admitted to getting the virus a second time after confessing and bragging about how many jabs he had had. Now, I, I'm not sure how many he had. Wait, wait did he get COVID or monkeypox? Oh. No, no, no he, he got COVID. Well, that's a legitimate <laughs> question. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> well, you just no, said the virus. Yeah, there's sorry. two now, Kevin. There's two. At the time that Stephen Colbert's virus was announced, no, he said COVID, right? Okay. And everybody was making fun of him because how stupid can you be boasting about how many jabs you've taken and then you get the virus again and again? Well, on top of that news, today there was an amazing tweet and a funny tweet from a guy talking about Jimmy Kimmel apparently has the same problem. I, I saw that. And his tweet, I got to read it to you because it's I don't want to take credit for the terminology, but the tweet was hilarious. It says, Jimmy Kimmel, this is from a man, uh, Dave Champion, Jimmy Kimmel, who had four COVID-2 shots, SARS-CoV-2 shots, has tested positive for the virus twice since becoming a pincushion. And, <laughs> and his quote was, one hell of a vaccine. So I thought that's great. All these celebrity pincushions taking shot after shot after shot. And of course, getting more sick and more sick and saying, glad I had the shot or I would have died yesterday. Yeah, but, it would have been worse. But it, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't matter. Like we, we changed the definition of a vaccine. That's right. So mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Like, yeah, it's not what it used to be. Just taking drugs. Yeah. John, just do what they tell you to do. Right. And and go by whatever they say the new definition of a word is. That's right. Yeah. Hey, uh, that being said, let's jump into something that I, I told Gary the other day that I wanted to talk about because I don't have a lot of details on it. I want to know some more information on it. I would expect that both of you would have more information than I do on it. The whole World Health Organization issue with losing the uh, sovereignty of the United States by, what is it, 2024? They expect mm. this to happen? Well, that, that that's part of the question is some are saying it's going to happen now, but the treaty is not supposed to be signed until 2024. Okay, so, that, so that's part of what we'll discuss. So overall, let's just say this is a, a giving up of our... Essentially, this is a giving up of our rights to the WHO, the World Health Organization. Mm-hmm. Not to, the rock band. No, not the rock band. For them to give directive and um, 
In the case of a pandemic. Correct. Yeah. Yes. And that would apply to the world as a whole instead of us individually having our own. Yeah. So there's there's two parts to this. And admittedly, I'm still, as as informed as I am on the topic, I'm still trying to figure out the precise truth. And I think we'll get to it today, actually. Um, I'm counting on it. I think we typically do. And I know Kevin will be helpful in that. But let me let me go to the 2024 treaty, okay? The treaty that is being proposed that they are meeting about on May 22nd in Geneva, Switzerland, coming up. This proposed treaty basically is an agreement of all nations of the world that are that are part of this cabal, including the United States. That we are going to relinquish our national sovereignty to the World Health Organization in terms of allowing the World Health Organization to declare that we are currently under an imminent threat, or however you want to phrase that, of a, of a global pandemic. And so now the World Health Organization is going to direct what needs to happen in your sovereign nation to combat this global pandemic. And we are going to give them the authority collectively to do that. And so we have we, – we've completely just sold off our national sovereignty in that instance where a, a completely unelected foreign body can declare a public health emergency. And look, we have seen clearly what we're willing to give up in a public health emergency. We're willing to let school boards run ramshot over our kids – uh, you know, not following any scientific evidence whatsoever where, you know, people are very fear driven and fear based. That's just natural. Um, surely these people are smarter than us. We're completely happy with giving up on the Constitution and everything that Americans know about individual liberties just so that, oh, my God, we don't die. And so this is this is scary stuff. This is what we've been set up for. My, my personal belief clearly is that there there has I mean, look, just just follow the. Follow the yellow brick road, connect all the dots. This has been the agenda. How do we get people to the place where finally we can institute some semblance of global control? And I've talked about this in the past. They, you know, they weren't able to do it with climate change. They tried really hard for dec you know, for more than a decade. They tried very hard. It did not work. And so now they're doing it with public health. And you start you start convincing people that they're going to die, you know that that's going to change their tune, and they've been very very successful with the public health narrative, and so look already we're seeing you know COVID you know flatten the curve and COVID we're, we'll if we all just wear a mask if we all just take the vaccine this will go away. Next thing you know, we're looking at a treaty in 2024 that will literally cede our national sovereignty. But the the confusing part right now is what what people are saying, and I and I've got the document available for download. Our our last email we sent out this week, President Biden and his administration has submitted some amendments. Now here's where I'll I'll admit Kevin may have the I'm not a hundred percent sure on this. My whenever I launched my report, I was under the impression that those proposed amendments were to be discussed as an amendment to the treaty that's being signed in 2024. What I'm learning and people have been commenting and sending me emails is that no, 
this amendment is proposed to our agreement with the World Health Organization that exists currently. Correct. <clears throat> which amendment is, to current regulations. Yes. yes. Which then is why there's this huge fear that we're not looking to 2024. We're looking to right now. So I'll, I'm going to defer to Kevin now to talk more about that. But then I, I want us to come back to that and talk about constitutionally what needs to happen with ratification of a treaty and how can you amend something with no ratification. So Before, yep. before we get there, can mm-hmm. you help me understand like where the WHO came from and what the current impact it has on the world right now? Like how, how does it? Well, without going that deep, because that would take a long time, okay. and I think we could lose interest. Here are the important factors to remember. First of all, world any world organization is a threat to the sovereignty of an individual nation. Absolutely. In particular, NATO, the UN, I mean, yeah. all of them. Yeah. In particular, the hypocrisy has been that in recent years, decades, the countries and nations that are that are most violative of human freedoms are on committees that advocate for, you know, eliminating, um, let me say it this way, countries like China never used to be allowed to occupy positions on these committees because of their human rights violations. Now China and China's, all of China's henchmen, all the other nations that are in bed with China doing China's bidding are all running and have the majority of power on these committees that are making decisions that affect our sovereignty and affect the sovereignty of other nations. So there's great hypocrisy, first of all, and the amount of control is immense because each country only gets one vote. And yet for years, just as with the United Nations, the United States has been the biggest funder Mm. of these organizations. So during the Trump administration, Trump withdrew significant funding. And you may recall that when he did, who stepped in to fill in the gap but Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Mm -hmm. So that's that's critical to understand with regard to the who, because and, take, and I believe the amount of funding that the bill, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation provides to the World Health Organization now is second only to the United States government. They're yeah, on I'm, par. They, the, I but, know that the Gates Foundation is like two hundred fifty million a year, and like and that. and USA is right there. So that that's that's <clears> an incredible thought. Yeah. So Biden has refunded, not not in the sense of giving somebody a refund, but refunded the WHO, which is consistent with leftist belief, famously quoted by Samantha Power, formerly of the Obama administration. I don't know what her current role is, but she used to be undersecretary or assistant secretary of, um, look up her title. Under the Obama administration, though, Samantha Power was famous for saying, we must be prepared to give up or to surrender a little of our sovereignty. Um <laughs> Which is outrageous. Why would anybody say that? Why would you say that? If your aim is to undermine America at every point in the process, remember, they've declared us, Americans, as the enemy. So anything they can do to destroy us, including denying us our own sovereignty. Parents are domestic terrorists. Yeah. Okay, but thinking that's one thing, but actually saying it, like, wow. So these amendments, so now let's bring more context to it. If you raise, and I found this out this week by raising it with one of our representatives um, at Congress, I said, why aren't you saying anything about this? I said, I understand, you know, that Republicans don't have the majority, but please speak up about this. Well, the initial response I got back was, (laughs) as you would expect, well, Kevin, if it's not passed by a treaty, 
right, which is confirmed by two-thirds of the Senate, which is not going to happen under the current Senate, it doesn't bind the United States. Well, no kidding. But how many other laws and rules and how much more of the Constitution has already been ignored? Case in point. The Iran deal mm. was instituted not as a treaty but as a end-around to the treaty process featuring, of course, Bob Corker, former Tennessee senator. He helped pass that legislation, which still does not bind the United States of America because it is not a treaty. And yet, what have we done since that legislation was passed? We have acted as a nation and implemented that as if it is a treaty and it is legally binding. So my first response to this representative was, well, you do understand that whether or not it's a treaty, if it is instituted even illegally and without authorization as a U.S. policy by the executive, media is not going to say, oh, this isn't a treaty. Congress is not going to say, oh, this isn't a treaty. So it will, in fact, be and have the force of law, even though it is no longer or never was a treaty. So which brings us to the point today. The amendments that are being offered by the Biden administration to the current rules of the WHO about pandemics, he's doing this because he knows, Biden knows he cannot get a treaty approved by the United States Senate. Mm -hmm. So he's doing the same kind in spirit, the same kind of run end around that was done by Bob Corker and Barack Obama at the end of the Obama administration in the Iran deal. So those amendments are dangerous now. And they will be even more dangerous if they become a treaty. But let me, be, let me read something so we can be specific in case people are unclear. And this, by the way, credit to Center for Renewing America did a policy paper this week to the reply that people will say, well, these regulatory mandates do not have authority and they don't have an, enforce, an enforcement mechanism. So, for example, if China were found to have violated its obligations in response to COVID-19, there would not be international law repercussions, though member states still individually retain the sovereign power to sanction those countries, blah, blah, blah. This also means on the front end of an outbreak, the World Health Organization cannot compel a country to take specific actions. As with China and COVID-19, a country may or may not cooperate with who? The amendments proposed by the Biden administration do not include an enforcement mechanism, nor does the WHO Constitution include strong mechanisms to force compliance. However, as has already been indicated by the WHA, these regulations are not the end game. The final goal is global governance by the scientific elite. Mm -hmm. These amendments to the regulations lay the groundwork for what will eventually become some version of a public health accord or treaty. In addition, formal enforcement mechanisms are not needed in the meantime, as has become evident throughout COVID-19. Mm, compliance. Right. Global corporations and state and local public health authorities already have the immediate ability to enforce any dictates on behalf of the WHO. Mask mandates, lockdowns, school closures, forced vaccinations, all are merely a preview of what could follow, whether it's COVID, climate change, or some other, quote, public health emergency as defined by the global elite. That's, that's the key, by the way, right? We don't get to interpret or define the terms. The political cudgel will be ready. The recent global COVID summit indicates COVID will still be the excuse, but the response will be more severe. So that's the danger. The danger is because we know the Biden administration and the great two-thirds of our states 
will be more than willing to go along and say, well, the WHO says we need to do this, so we'll do it. I mean, they do it with the CDC already. This will give them authority to force people, guilt people into complying, and that's the real issue. Yep. So the question is, how do they do that? So two things I want to dig into. One, I'm glad you mentioned Center for Renewing America. I was actually yesterday afternoon— I was on their national call uh, with the executive director of their advocacy group, Wade Miller, and he made a great point. I actually asked a question. I said, well, look, we know I agree with you. They had made the statement that, um, look, this treaty is probably going to get signed, and we know that the Biden administration is going to push this stuff. And so my my point was, yeah, I agree with you. So so where I'm sitting— the firewall between this global takeover and ceding our individual liberties is going to be state power, the state. So mm-hmm. how? So what do we do as a state to combat this? And he Wade made a great point. He said, you know what, think about it. Whenever we went through these two years of COVID and Biden was making all of these mandates, and you got you know, they they pushed, of course, Trump was in office at the beginning. They pushed all of this down through the governors. It wasn't through federal power. They knew that any federal mandate would be unconstitutional. So what they did was they pushed it down through the Mm -hmm. governors. And and as as I continue to tell everyone in Tennessee, don't think for a moment, even though we were freer than most, that we did not do some of the same idiocy – that every state did in the United States here in Tennessee. Our governor signed an executive order that forced you to stay at home under penalty of law, a Class A misdemeanor, a $2,500 fine, or a year in jail. He called you non-essential and shut down your business. He signed an executive order that encouraged you not to go to church during Christmas that limited our gatherings to no more than 10 people. We did that here in Tennessee. And let's not forget, that he spied on us, and he admitted to spying on With us. With this mobile GPS right. nonsense? He said, hey, you Tennesseans. You're I moving s- around too much. Yeah, wait, I, wait, wait, I wait, see wait, from the wait. app that you're not staying home, so we're going to extend this executive order. Hang on, break that down, because I don't—what I don't. Yes. What, what is this? I don't know So about you go this. back to— This a- was acknowledged. Yeah, April of 2020. Remember, he every two weeks he kept saying, executive order is going to be extended, extended, yeah, yeah, right? right. On one of the extensions, it might have been the second for, to the last one. For 20 months— we extended our state of emergency. Mm, yeah. But for the stay home order, one of the extensions of the stay home, right? Everybody was anticipating, okay, we're finally going to be free from our houses. He actually, in his executive order, stated that the reason he was extending the stay at home order was because he had watched us through this app, that this app that all states were using. It was developed by a leftist app guy in Silicon Valley. And the governor admitted— That tracks your movements yeah. via GPS on your phones. And he said, we've been watching your movements. I'm paraphrasing, but that's—we've been watching your movements, and not enough of you are staying at home and complying. So we need to comply. So we're going to keep you in your home. We're going to extend this stay-at-home order for another couple How of weeks. How did I miss this? This is— Yeah, you've been moving—you've been moving around too much. So I'm going to extend the executive order that forces you to stay home under— Penalty of law. Yeah, Something. it was outrageous. I I know. I blew up at it. I mean, I sent emails and texts at the time. And then he admitted to it. It no, was no, in the he, order. It was in the order. He said, oh, oh, "I've oh, been oh, watching gotcha. you. This gotcha. is the re- he." I'm sure we've that he, been tracking your cell phone movements. What you're, you're moving doing. around too much. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure that he, you got to imagine this is how. 
unaware. Uh, In what, Tennessee, how do you y'all. say self-unaware? Un, unself-aware. He actually probably thought that that was a good thing and that he was supplementing his reasons for telling us to stay at home, admitting that he was violating more of our civil liberties than he'd already done in the first place. That's our conservative governor right there. I mean, I have good reason to make you stay home. I just want you to understand this. Yeah, yeah. exactly. All right. So, but the point is. <laughs> Sorry, I got you off track, but that's no, an important that's, point. That's an no, incredible. point. I got it off track. Point. I asked the question. Sorry. It's insane. You know, so we know they're going to push this down to the state. So, so what do you do? Well, you have to, you have to enforce your state constitution. You have to have a legislature and a governor that has the backbone to stand up against federal tyranny and assert state sovereignty. So here's one question though, before we get to the states, my thing is this, because I'm going to go to, um, let's see here. Article two, section two of the United States constitution contains the treaty clause. So the first thing we have to deal with is, Kevin, you were talking about the fact that we have this national agreement. You know, we have nations have these national agreements with the World Health Organization. And and I think a lot of folks that have responded to my my post and my, my commentary that I wrote, I think they're right. You know, I, I, I misstated the, the situation just a bit. These, like you said, these amendments that have been proposed by Biden – are not amendments to the pending treaty in 2024. They are amendments to the existing agreement. All right, but here's my question. In the Constitution, our founders never addressed global agreements. They address treaties. Mm -hmm. So the question is, is there anything different? How can you differentiate a global agreement from a treaty? And Per Article 2, Section 2 of the United States Constitution says this in the Treaty Clause, the president shall have power by and with the advice and consent of the Senate to make treaties provided two-thirds of the senators present concur. So my my pushback on my – here's what I'm trying to say. There's this – because I don't want to create undue panic, right? And everybody's like, oh, my God, we're about to lose our national sovereignty. Well – I understand that Biden has proposed, I relinquished that part of the argument, yes, Biden is proposing amendments to a current national agreement. But per our Constitution, isn't that national agreement a treaty? And wouldn't any amendment to a treaty require a two-thirds majority vote of our Senate? But it's not already a treaty. That's the point. So all of this – and and that's the reason why there are not enforcement mechanisms. None of it – None of it is legal vis-a-vis our Constitution. The concern is that you have an executive of a rogue regime doing what they want to do anyway, and you have a compliant, as Mark Levin always calls them, the Praetorian Guard media, right? Not checking the power of the government, but inflaming that um, and encouraging and cheerleading it. The problem is, you're exactly right, It it's not a treaty, it never was a treaty. Amendments to it are not a treaty. None of it is enforceable against us. But once it works itself into the vernacular of the culture and you have governors who are saying, well, the who says we should do this, that's the danger. It's mm-hmm. not It's not technically enforceable, but e- either is – well, think about it in terms of um, probably another topic, but that Buffalo shooting spree, yeah, right? Well, the gun advocate – the gun control advocates always come out and say this is why we need stronger gun control. Well – There's already laws 
against murder, and that didn't stop this guy. There's already law. Criminals don't follow laws, right? So more laws isn't what we need, Mm -hmm. and we know that's not their intent. Well, in the same way, whatever you may call them, they are not binding on the United States. They're not binding on us. They don't undermine our Constitution. But the problem is we continue to do these things, and I highlight again the Iran deal was such a key moment where the treaty process was so eviscerated, and if this happens again— It will be the second time people will start saying, well, it's just a treaty clause of the Constitution, but we can be bound other ways. And if the American people go along with it, and if all the governors go along with it, and if all the businesses go along with it, does it really matter that it was not constitutional? The, we're, we're living under it. Does we're it matter if we do it anyway? Yeah. yeah. So so question. So let's, let's make sure that our, this is straight for all our listeners. Would you agree with me in saying that According to our Constitution, any global national agreement must be considered a treaty. That's what our founders would have thought. I mean, the Constitution doesn't allow for anything else. I mean, we would have to treat that if we're agreeing with another nation to do something, mm-hmm. we would have to treat that as a treaty. Yeah. Am I, am I right? And it's, in, and it's, it's only that? binding. Yeah, it's only binding if it is a treaty. So so the only way to bind that to the American people would be with a two-thirds majority mm-hmm. concurring vote of our Senate. Right. Yeah. Okay. So it's important, I, I think, from a constitutional perspective to understand any any national, any global agreement that our nation has entered into by the signature of our executive that has not been accompanied by two-thirds majority ratification from our United States Senate is null and void and not binding on the United States or any state therein. Is that a correct Yes, statement? it's correct. But that's – therein lies the problem because talk about the border, right? It's, it's clearly a violation of our national sovereignty to have an open border to invite enemies into our midst – to provide for them, as we talked about last week, whether it's NFAMIL or to provide them government handouts, and yet the government does it, and the media is compliant, and states say, oh, well, we can't do anything about it. This week, three illegals in Tennessee charged with working for Mexican drug cartels. People that think that it's just a border issue may not understand, I mean, our audience will, but anybody who says, oh, I don't have to worry about that now because I'm not a border state. Oh, no, it's all no. over the place. Yeah, we've got drug cartels, Mexican drug cartels, and three Nashvillians were arrested last week for working with Mexican drug cartels. The Constitution, if I say this, it's going to be misunderstood or sound controversial. But the Constitution is not a winning argument. And by that I mean we have the left who is ignoring the Constitution – as uh, Brownson would say, rolling on its career of devastation and death with a force that human beings in themselves are impotent to resist. But the response on the right is always, well, we've got a constitution. We've got a constitution. I remember when I was chairman of the Williamson County Republican Party, 2012, we were fighting some issue and I got an email from a man, Republican in East Tennessee. He said, Mr. Kukaji, your concerns are unwarranted. That's never going to happen here because... We have a constitution, and the constitution says you can't do that, whatever the issue was. That's not a winning argument. It's not the piece of paper that protects us. 
It's the ideas behind the piece of paper. And unless we're willing and people in mass are willing to uphold to and make the argu- mm-hmm. argument of those ideas, the paper doesn't matter at all. It's being ignored by the left. Which we've clearly seen over the last two years. So that's the fear. The issue at hand then is not only ceding over national sovereignty, it's the fact that, by and large, many states will unconstitutionally comply Mm -hmm. with these demands. So here in Tennessee, here's the thing, everybody listening to the Freedom Matters podcast. You need, you need men and women in our General Assembly, in our legislature, who have the constitutional authority to make law in this state to nullify these actions of the federal government and create and enact law in our state that ensures that no part, no state agency, nothing with a drawing authority from our state government complies with any of this nonsense because it is unlawful. It has not been ratified by a two-thirds majority of our Senate, and it obliterates the duty that our legislature has to uphold the constitutional liberties secured by our federal and our state constitution, which all 132 of our legislatures have sworn an oath to uphold, and that your rights and privileges per those constitutions shall not in any way be abridged. That's where we must stand. Mm. Uh, Let me add to that too, Gary, that Daniel Horowitz had a great suggestion for states in an article about this earlier this week, suggesting that states even go so far as to adopt criminal liability for any government. called teeth. Yeah. Corporations, anybody who would enforce these WHO regulations Mm -hmm. on the citizens of Tennessee should be subject to a crime. A state can do this. And if we don't do this, you're going to start seeing have any of you seen the federal like the IRS police cars around Middle Tennessee? No. Mm-mm, no. Yeah, they're unmarked. It just says police. It doesn't say Williamson County, doesn't say Franklin and Brentwood. They've been around for about 10 years, but I see more of them. You've seen one of these? Oh yeah. I haven't seen these. Oh yeah. They're And ju- this is the IRS. They're all, well, the, they're some of them are connected with the IRS, the the building over here. The building that the IRS doesn't like anybody knowing about, but it's it's right over here in the in the what uh, we call the, the Cool Springs Gulch. We're, we're going to have to know more about this. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what this building is. Yeah, the, the IRS hates the fact that anybody knows about this because they're of course they do. They, they, I think it's just a call center, but it's an IRS building. Nevertheless, if that's not frightening enough, wait until you start seeing enforcement vehicles in your state and in your community that are not your local police officer that you can go down to the Franklin police station and say, hey, I've got a problem, that are getting all of their authority from a foreign country, mm-hmm. right? Maybe even have foreign speaking agents inside who pull you aside and arrest you. Who are you going to go to? Where do you make your appeal? You're not going to be able to go to Williamson County Courts to make your appeal, right? You're going to have to send an email to a body, no, you an gotta, unelected body in you Belgium. Gotta call, you got to call your sheriff who understands his constitutional duty to keep those illegitimate global and federal powers mm-hmm. out of your county. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I don't I I yeah. love our sheriff. 
So, Dusty, we're looking at you. Uh, we're looking at you, Dusty. <laughs> Get educated, my friend. We're going to need you. So we've probably gone over on time, haven't we? No, we have. But like, I, I uh, there's some episodes where like we can be super conversational. And there's some episodes where I just ask a question and you guys go off, and that's <laughs> that's amazing. I just sit here and listen, and that's great. Yeah, this this could occupy multiple episodes. So we probably should save a little. Okay. Firepower. We can save a little. We'll save a little for the next time when Joe Rogan's here. <laughs> <laughs> Which I would imagine he's got a lot to say about this. Yeah, I would hope so. Yeah. Maybe he can talk about it on this show. Would love to. All right. Well, that was uh, a lot of information in, in a little bit of time. So we'll continue it later. Thanks, John. Yeah. Thanks, Scary. guys. Thank you for listening to the Freedom Matters podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Tennessee Stands, visit TennesseeStands.org to donate, volunteer, or get more information about what we're doing to preserve liberty for the people of Tennessee. You can also follow along on all social platforms at Tennessee Stands. And remember, as revolutionary Thomas Paine once stated, those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must, like men, undergo the fatigues of supporting it.